Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. We're so glad you're able to join us uh, today. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and is brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Together we encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Sitting around the table with me today is Pastor Tim Michelangeli, Scott Slater, and I am Spencer Snow, the discipleship pastor here at the uh, church. Well, we are continuing our discussion of Christian traditions and denominations, kind of just briefly interacting at a very broad level, surface level, with different traditions. Last week we talked about the Anabaptist tradition and really didn't get into some of the stuff that really would uh, be helpful for people to know about what the Anabaptist tradition is, but we um, uh, got to talk about that. This week we're going to talk about another tradition that comes to us out of the Reformation but is with us to this day, and that is Anglicanism, Anglicanism, also known in America as Episcopalianism. Um, So if you know an Episcopal church, that would be a church that traces its roots within the Anglican uh, tradition within the Anglican tradition. So, uh, guys, what do you know, and what do many people know, for instance, when they come here about the Episcopal Church, or if they hear that term or anything, what do you think that comes to their mind, or the word Anglican? Oh, Episcopal, what comes to my mind is liberal. Okay. I don't know if that's what would came to my mind right away with Anglican. Anglican would have been Church of England. That, right. Like I said before, <laughs> that's what comes to my mind. Sure. But I think of liberal with the Episcopalian. And when you mean liberal, what do you mean by that? Uh, like they're going to be, they're going to have the rainbow flag outside their, outside their churches, or they might, they'll have, I think in my head, it was like women uh, pastors or whatever leaders in their, in their sure. church, just a, a more liberal, even theology, maybe more social justice minded mm-hmm. types of stuff. I would have probably thought soft Catholic mm. because of the way their pastors dress, like a lot of them right. wear that collar thing that sure. you see priests wear. Sure. So that's just uh, in my upbringing what I probably would have thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much more formal in that sense of mm-hmm. with the collar and everything. Okay, well, Anglicanism, what in the world does it mean? What is Anglicanism or Episcopalianism? Well, I've stolen from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and uh, what is Anglican? Well, the adjective uh, obviously does relate, as Pastor Tim said, to England, and it says it says here, of or relating to the established Episcopal Church of England and churches of similar faith and order in communion with it. Um. So that's what it would be. It would be related to the National Church of England um, and those churches that come from it, kind of trace their roots coming from that. And there's quite a variety um, that that can trace their their, uh, roots from it. And we won't go through all the history there and everything about how this church came about, but needless to say, if you know some of the background of... um, what were you laughing this at? This map's like the most worthless map I've ever seen. This shade of gray represents Lutheran. This shade of gray represents Calvinists. This shade of gray is Church okay, of England. listen. This is printed in grayscale. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> What's I think, water? I think only a woman would be able to tell the difference between the grays and this. Oh, boy. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. 
Ungrateful. <laughs> oh, ungrateful. Ungrateful. Um, obviously, I've printed this in grayscale. I see that. Did not print it in the <laughs> auto color setting that I could have. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, but the story of the English Reformation is famously rooted in King Henry VIII um, with his various wives, his argument with the Pope, and on and on. Um, needless to say, eventually the Church of England separates, uh, becomes its own thing, goes undergoes Reformation and, and back and forth. You know, we have uh, Mary the First, Bloody Mary, and then her sister succeeds her, um, Elizabeth the First, who's very influential, a very famous Queen of England, and uh, really kind of uh, gives a stable foundation from which the uh, Anglican Church, the Church of England, at that time was able to uh, uh, kind of uh, come about and uh, and uh, you know really establish itself uh, through that. But eventually, what's interesting, if you look historically, the Church of England. Uh, during the Reformation, right, we have the Lutherans and we have the Reformed. Well, it became underneath all, all these monarchs and such, and through all the history and all of everything that happened, it became a kind of Reformed Protestant uh, church. Um, one one uh, Anglican guy who I mentioned in the who is in who I interviewed named Miles Smith. He's a a, a guy who teaches at uh, Hillsdale. Um, here in Michigan, he's a professor there, a very smart guy. He writes this, we're reformed in as much as we're part of the Reformation. We're, we're not reformed in a strict Calvinist sense. We share similarities with the Reformed and with Lutherans. In many ways, we're a via media. In other words, we're like a, a middle way between Wittenberg, which is what he's saying there, uh, the Lutheran Reformation, and Geneva, which is the Calvinist or Ref- Reformed tradition. So in, in a lot of ways, Anglicanism, the Church of England, was trying to steer a middle way between Lutheranism and the Reformed. They were trying to steer a middle way between those two traditions. And so eventually a guy, another Angl- modern-day Anglican guy who's also a a really smart writer. He's named Gerald Bray. He's got a book called Anglicanism, a Reformed Catholic Tradition. He writes this, what we now call Anglicanism first emerged as a kind of Reformed Protestantism. So they were trying to steer that middle way between the Lutherans and the Reformed and try to, um, I guess, in a sense, embrace those. So like, for instance, um, they maintained bishops and ceremonies that probably would have been uncomfortable to some of the Reformed people um, as far as, like, you know, worship and things like that. But then on the other hand, they didn't go, um, you know, for instance, on the Lord's Supper to where the, the Lutherans were um, on maintaining the real bodily presence of Christ in the Supper. So they kind of were trying to steer that, that, that middle way while still being distinctively um, uh, Protestant. One of the things that happens, however, if you know English history, is there was the English Civil War in the 1600s. And after that Civil War, they Oliver Cromwell comes in, right? The, the, the Puritans and all those guys, they had beheaded the king. Oliver Cromwell takes over uh, eventually as the, I believe, called protectorate. And then, long story short, they decide we need to have a king again. So they call the king they just beheaded, they beheaded years before. They call his son. They say they, they invite his son to come back and become the king, Charles II. Well, he comes back. And afterwards, you have a bunch of groups that it was said, you know, you basically had to conform to the Church of England and 
and become part of the Church of England, but if you didn't conform, you were a group outside of that state church. And this is where we as Baptists come in. Um, you've got Presbyterians, Congregationalists, Quakers, uh, Baptists of various stripes that are that are considered nonconformists because we did not conform to the state church. And whereas if you did conform to the state church of England, um, you were you you were a conformist and you probably could have been called an Anglican in that sense. Um, so today, worldwide, Anglicanism is a worldwide phenomenon. And I just dropped a, a writing utensil on the floor. That's what you probably heard. Um, Anglicanism is a worldwide phenomenon now because with the British Empire, whenever it went worldwide, they took the church wherever it went. So that today, the continent with the largest number of Anglicans worldwide, and Scott is laughing at me. I can't help it. He... <laughs> So how can you work I'm sorry this is not a joking matter <laughs> I dropped a writing utensil <laughs> do I need to mute him <laughs> you might have to mute, might Scott. Have to mute Scott for yeah. a little bit Gosh. you had a big point to make I did the largest <laughs> the concentration <laughs> of Anglicans, Anglicans worldwide is Africa <laughs> Africa has um, a huge Anglican population, um, Europe, obviously, but then um, you think about countries like Australia and then eventually, of course, North America and so on. Um, and then there's obviously in America, there are different denominations. We think about the Episcopal Church, we think very liberal. Um, and there's other denominations that may be more, um, we might call conservative evangelical or evangelical of various shades um, and such. So... Anyway, that's a really quick overview of Anglicanism, where it started, and where it's at today. Any comments or any jokes you want to make right now? No jokes. No comments. No comments. So when it comes to being an Anglican, you can't you can't tell much from that? Yeah, I guess you still have to do some conversation yeah. with them to figure out what that means. Yeah, that's what I. Uh, yeah. that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, here's Gerald Bray. Or, uh, yeah, I think this is probably from Gerald Bray. Yeah. Anyway, so first thing I think we should know about Anglicanism. First of all, Anglicanism is. We're going to use this title. It's a Reformed Catholic tradition. A Reformed Catholic tradition. So, and by that, isn't that what we all are? <laughs> well. <laughs> Okay, go I, guess, ahead, I guess in a sense, yes. <laughs> so good at being inclusive. Yeah, I know. That's actually what the title of his book is, Anglicanism, A Reformed Catholic Tradition. <laughs> okay. But notice what he says. He calls it A Reformed Catholic Tradition, not, not B. B. Um, so anyway, but this is a really good book. It's not actually thick, but it's really helpful. Um, he writes this, Before that time, around the 1830s or so, he says, Most people assumed that the Church of England was a Protestant body that had separated from Rome in the 16th century, along with several other churches in Northern Europe. The English Church happened to have preserved a number of medieval features, like a territorial episcopate, in other words, you know, bishops, all those things, with cathedrals that continued to function much as they had before the Reformation. This gave it a certain traditionalist feel which might look to Protestants like remnants of Roman Catholicism, but this was more in appearance than in reality. Um, that's really kind of one of the things that kind of gives you the uh, flavor of, of at least Anglicanism at this time. It was Protestantism, but with maybe 
a more traditionalist feel of maintaining some of those medieval external trappings. That's what I was talking about. Is it feels like a soft Catholic? Yeah, but that's it. Theologically, it's not correct. But uh, in the way it looks, in the way it feels, that's what I, I would have thought. Definitely, um, and I think that's a that's a, a totally appropriate. I think I, I growing up, I didn't think about any of these things, and I think that's probably a similar thing I would have thought of. Scott is the you know. It's strikingly different than the Anabaptist. Yeah. Right? Yes. I mean, that's what we did last time. Yes. And this is very different, where they yes. were trying to be totally different. Definitely. Yeah. And it makes, I think that's the reason why um, in one of the interviews, Miles Smith says right away, he wants, he says, we're not JV Catholics. In other words, we're not junior varsity Catholics. And he's trying to emphasize that we're Protestants. But I think that's a common misperception uh, uh, that I think I would have had, and uh, a lot of us would, as we look at, at Anglicanism, it's just because of the traditionalist feel. But actually, if you get to know Anglican-specific people who go to those churches, you talk to them, you may find that you actually agree on a number of substantial issues uh, related to the gospel um, in ways that you may be, may be surprised by. Um, yeah, I mean, you interviewed uh, quite a few people, and you gave us the interview sheet. I think it was three of them, and all of them. When you you ask a question like, "What are some similarities between Anglicanism and Baptist?" You said, "Yeah," and yeah, most of their answers or all of them really was on like some key things of the Christian faith, like mm-hmm. upholding Scripture, the Trinity, justification. Definitely. They said some really big things that was like, "Oh, definitely." Okay. Uh, the differences seem to come in with uh, the sacraments, definitely church structure a little bit. And this is—I take a moment real quick to make a key point because I think sometimes the uh, if we haven't done our homework or just just don't know, if you didn't know it, um, you would you would look, for instance, at the from us as a Baptist tradition where we're we're here, um, a Southern Baptist tradition church. If you were simply to look at the Anabaptists from a somewhat of a superficial perspective, you might think we've got a lot more in common with them than we do maybe with certain Anglicans, because externally we might look a lot similar with with an Anabaptist church than we would with maybe uh, an Anglican church or a Lutheran church. But actually, if you look underneath the externals, you might find actually that regarding the gospel we actually disagree with the Anabaptists, and we're actually closer with certain Anglicans and the Lutherans when it comes to understanding how Christ saves us and what's our problem in sin. So I think it's a good lesson to be to remind us that sometimes externals can be uh, deceiving, and uh, you can't necessarily judge a book by its cover. You have to do a little bit of homework and talking mm-hmm. to people and looking online at what they actually say they believe, um, because you might actually find you have some... Uh, um, surprising allies in the Christian faith um, when it comes to the, the the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think that's why this is good stuff to know. Is just you drive around our community and you see all different denominations, right? And you just, I that's how I would been. Oh, there's an Anabaptist church. They're they're Baptist with an Anna on the front. I mean, that got to be pretty close, right? <laughs> got to be pretty close to us. But yeah, like you said, but drive to the by the Anglican church or whatever, and you'd say they're Catholic. Right. That's who they team up with. The Lutherans, the Anglicans, the Catholics, they're kind of their own team over there. Right. And then us over here. But yeah, after studying Anabaptists and stuff, I mean, I think it would be kind of right to say they're more Methodist Wesleyan 
in their theology of which we are we are not right right <laughs> we, right we don't agree with that right but, but like you said when you study the lutherans again we're not identical no but when you look at justification and salvation and yes. how that comes about you start to realize man kind of align with them a lot more than we definitely have our differences and we don't yeah, sweep sure. those under the rug no but when it comes to yeah like you're saying the the key gospel truths we actually share the same core gospel that they do yeah um as well so anglican beliefs are um summarized in the 39 articles of religion which is a, a document you can look it up on online if you're interested at all um and they've got a a their statement of of historically this is their statement of faith and and gerald bray i think this is from him he kind of arranges it because there's certain statements uh in these 39 articles the first eight are kind of um statements that everybody who's a christian should believe in things like the holy trinity who jesus is the holy ghost um the place of scripture we would agree with their place with their understanding of that scripture is the supreme final authority um you know, the, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, Athanasian Creed, things like that. Those are things that every Christian should affirm. And then he gets lists there, uh, Articles 9 through 33 are those kinds of things that are more distinctively um, uh, reformed relating to the way of salvation and the church and the way uh, we would call them ordinances, they would call them sacraments, uh, a work. So, for instance, let's just look at a couple of key things. For instance, when uh, Article 6 they write about the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation. And it says this. This is from their 39 articles. Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man, that it should be believed as an article of the faith, or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scripture, we do understand those canonical books of the Old and New Testament, of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. I mean, sounds good. I think we would give a thumbs up. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to read the part about original sin. Needless to say, though, they would affirm the fact that mankind is born in sin and incapable of turning himself uh, to God. And then when it comes to justification about how we're saved, they say this about justification. Article 11. We are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith and not for our own works or deservings. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. And this is from another state thing, the homily that they have on the salvation of mankind. It's really beautiful. It says this, God sent his only son, our Savior Christ, into this world to fulfill the law for us, and by shedding of his most precious blood, to make a sacrifice and satisfaction, or as it may be called, amends to his Father for our sins, to assuage his wrath and indignation conceived against us for the same. He says that, it continues, the right and true Christian faith is not only to believe that Holy Scripture and all of the aforesaid articles of our faith are true, but also to have a sure trust and confidence in God's merciful promises to be saved from everlasting damnation by Christ, whereof doth follow a loving heart to obey his commandments. Again, I think that's a pretty good statement of yeah. what we believe about how a person is made right yeah. with God. Yeah, I would fully agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful emphasis upon Christ's work on the cross. We receive it by faith, and they emphasize, though, at the very end, a loving heart to obey his commandments is a consequence of it believing. It doth, doth follow. It doth follow. That's one of the strengths, right? 
Uh, Anglicanism I saw gave us coming. the King James Bible. Yeah. yeah. King yeah. James. I like to point that out. Yep. There yeah. you go. 1611. Good job. Do they still use it? Probably in some instances. It doth follow. It doth follow. <laughs> well done, Scott. So would Churchill have been an Anglican? Probably nominally. Yeah, he didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, the famous... Who's that atheist guy? Um, Christopher uh, Hitchens? Hitchens. Yeah. His brother, Peter Hitchens, is yeah. actually a devout Christian. Yeah. I believe an Anglican. Okay. I believe he may be yeah, in the Church of England. Yeah, they're British. Yeah, he's conservative, too. I mean, right, a well-known... He's a famous writer and Don't know. Yeah. Peter Hitchens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. So anyway, those are just some basic things to help us all realize that underneath um, what may appear to be externally very traditional and formal, they actually embrace the same basic set of beliefs uh, that that we do about salvation and uh, the uh, scriptures. Uh, the next thing I want to point out is the Book of Common Prayer, because the Book of Common Prayer is a is a is a book that Tim, you keep hitting the microphone. No, I keep hitting the I keep hitting the table that the microphone's on, and my microphone is messed up. It's a setup. You guys have set me up. It's not true. With the worst, as always, you know. But I, the first shall be last. Last shall be first. I get it. I guess that's <laughs> what leaders do, right? Yeah, that's they what just, I do. <laughs> here to serve you guys. Oh boy, wow. all the time. It doth follow. It doth follow. <laughs> Scott's gonna use that <laughs> a lot now. Saying it now. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the prayer book um, is very important to church of, to the Anglican identity, and perhaps it's probably actually the most important thing. Um, it's got the liturgy, the service order that they follow. It's got um, scriptures. It's got services for all sorts of things: baptism, Lord's Supper, um, all sorts of stuff is located is found in in the Book of Common Prayer, and it's actually been very influential upon all of us in English-speaking society. So these mm-hmm. are some phrases um, that you maybe know of but are actually rooted in the Book of Common Prayer. At a marriage, dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God and in the face of this congregation. Another one uh, from the marriage ceremony, let him now speak or else hereafter forever hold his peace. The phrase, till death do us, us do part. Um, in the burial service, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Um, the, fa- the, the, the beautiful phrase, again, from the burial service, in the midst of life, uh, we are in death. I've never heard that one. I haven't either. Um, the last one. Yeah. I don't think I had either before, but I think Carl Truman has an article, I think, where he talks about that phrase. But um, the point is, if you're talking about just beautiful turns of phrase, the Book of Common Prayer is some, a great place, if nothing else, just for great literature. Because those phrases are, are things that are kind of, everyone uses those things, right? Yeah. Right? Yes. Right, Scott? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. you kind of expect to hear that. I mean, any movie, I guess most any movie that you would watch maybe from a little while back that had a wedding in it, that's usually how the wedding starts. Is I with would that bet phrase. a lot of people would say those are from the Bible. Uh, yeah, because they hear point. them at weddings that yeah. they would think that that 
the Bible says that's what you're right. supposed to do at a wedding. Yeah. Pirates right. of the Caribbean. <laughs> Did they say that all in there? Yeah. What's yeah. the? They're what's, British. Yeah, though. They're what's, British. That, what's that captain's name? Right? Jack Sparrow. No, no, the other one, Barbosa. Barbosa. Yeah. Captain yeah. Barbosa. We be gathered here today. Yeah, he does that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's. They're more like guidelines. <laughs> that's like the Book of Common Prayer. Yeah. More like guidelines. It's not really. <laughs> It's all, it's all coming together. It's we, more it like guidelines. That's Anglicanism. Right? Guidelines. That's Anglicanism <laughs> is the pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, okay. I, let me see what else I want to do here real quick. I want to simply read a, a prayer, and then we can kind of... And we can uh, close. We can close. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. It's kind of followed. It does follow. <laughs> it does follow. It does follow. <laughs> you can tell we had a good lunch today. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, we had very, vegetables. It was very healthy, actually. <laughs> yeah. I was very proud of everyone here. Um, yeah, we all ate very well. We did. Yep. Congrats. Um, Thank you, search team. <laughs> Thank you, search team. <laughs> okay, this is the um, a prayer. I think one of the things I did this for in the class was to help people get a taste of the 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 power of proper person. Now, I think let's before we do this, before we do this, let's talk about praying in church. Because I think one of the strengths of the Anglican tradition for all of the things that we might disagree with is they actually these written, thought out, dare I say, intentional prayers um that are found here that are actually well thought out. Um and used at appropriate occasions. Why is it, do you think, in Baptist in the Baptist tradition that we have either been hesitant or not been it's not been our instinct to use written prayers, right? Not that we're saying it's necessarily wrong, but why do you think that is? I think it's because we strive for a what we would say is a personal relationship with God. And so we want it to be a realistic Talk with God is what's always said. When you pray, it's a conversation. So just be be you. You know, like I remember of old hearing people go up and all of a sudden they sound like they're speaking King James Version, you know, and it kind of seems a little fake when they're doing it. It's like that, that how you talk. You're just supposed to talk to God, I thought. And so then prayer becomes this spontaneous thing. I mean, that's kind of how it is taught. And it that's does how, follow. Yeah. And that's how it's real. <laughs> yeah. But what is kind of interesting is the rest of the service we plan out on purpose, the sermon, the music, everything else is planned out. And then when you're actually having this time to talk with God, it's like, let's just wing that, you know? And I mean, we're not saying praying like that is wrong. You're supposed to be praying all, all the time. Uh, but I think there should be a good balance. I think it's okay to pray yeah, I, both ways. But I think that's where it comes from in our tradition is that whole personal thing. I I would, uh, I think that's modern, modernly yeah, probably yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Historically, though, I would say that probably what it's rooted in is that we have a different ecclesiology than Anglicans in that we believe in the autonomy of the local church, whereas these prayers, as part of the Book of Common Prayer, were standard for all Anglican churches, and Baptists have never organize themselves in that way and so yeah but we don't even have any i mean that i know of any like books of written prayers 
to even share. Like in in any Baptist church I've ever been in. Well, my understanding of the book of Common, write it out. My understanding of the book of Common Prayer was to basically standardize worship in their churches. Definitely, and Baptist yeah. churches have never done that, and so. In, uh, in that sense, there's never really been a reason to in yeah. terms of ordering our worship church to church because that's never been part of the Baptist tradition. Yeah, I was thinking of it in terms of preparedness of what you're going to say to God when you're praying. That's oh, what I was thinking. Yeah. Not, a, not to make everything common, but I just mean just in general. Again, any Baptist church I've went to, it's rare to see somebody write out their prayer and then read it. And I would dare say, for most, again, Baptists I know, if they saw somebody doing that, they'd say, that was very fake. The church I grew up in, the the, the worship leader wrote their prayers. Did they? And read that's them. That's good. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point that you bring up, Scott, because this highlights the Anglican tradition was born out of a specific ch- state church um, situation. Where, yeah, this was meant to standardize. It was mm-hmm. the Book of Common Prayer for mm-hmm. the whole nation. It was supposed to be the whole nation at prayer using the same forms. Um, and I think perhaps, yeah, one of the things that happened, and this is not simply, I think some Presbyterians also responded, like there was, um, I've heard um, about historically some some deep-seated opposition, maybe even especially in Scotland, to the whenever they tried to impose the Book of Common Prayer upon the people because they didn't like the idea of trying to impose things upon uh, the church. But maybe, and I think that's also why Baptists don't do it as well, that's partially also is because we're we're nonconformist in many ways yeah. as a, as a yeah. tradition. <laughs> um, we're kind of like the Western outlaws, I think, of of Protestantism. We're kind of like the the Clint Eastwood, I think, of of uh, maybe the Mandalorian kind of um, of Protestants. But anyway, I think that that is a reaction as well to the whole imposition of a of you're saying I have to do this, but sometimes maybe we have gone too far to where we're saying just because I don't have to doesn't mean it's wrong if I decide to. And maybe sometimes our tradition would have benefited somewhat from not imposing it upon people necessarily, but also learning from the fact that, yeah, you can prepare your prayers and also maybe steal some of these because these are really well written and thought out. We um, still do that. Appropriate. I mean, within, I know, within the Southern Baptist Church, we have the North American Mission Board and we do church planning and they train their church planners. And every church planner, it seems like, is given this budget of so much money, which includes within it this. Uh, what is it like a like a worship bundle almost where you get <laughs> you get a sound system you get this you get this and they talk through and it is kind of cookie cutterish of mm-hmm. this is what every service is going to look like this is what and and so while we might look from our perspective at the book compare and be like we are autonomous churches we don't act that way we very much do the exact same thing that's very a good, much so. that's a good point we we do have an unspoken <laughs> liturgy in many ways or yeah. a, a church culture that uh-huh. transcends mm-hmm. um uh, much of that and i think one of the things i've thought about too is i think it's ironic that sometimes for us written prayers may feel formal and less spiritual but those oftentimes those same people don't feel that way whenever they're singing a song during the church service that the words are on the screen all of like like that is that is their their intent. Those words are written and ordered in a specific order. Yeah. Each line is is verse is specifically chosen to be written that way, mm-hmm. 
And is that any less authentic on your part to read corporately or, or to sing corporately a pre-written song? Why then is it wrong? I mean, I'm just saying logically, it's not automatically wrong to use a pre-written prayer uh, similarly for us all to pray together. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is interesting how culturally, I think, in our tradition, and this is not just Southern Baptist churches, this is all the whole Baptist tradition. I think we've been more reticent, but there is something to maybe learn from using written forms and maybe learning from that uh, to some degree. Or at the very least, to just pre-prepare yeah, like if you're not just using some prayer that you found online or something, but at least thinking about what you're going to pray about. Sure, you know. Sure, I think uh, so. Let me read this one thing here. This is the uh, this is uh, the general confession that would be said um, and prayed. Um, it says here a general confession to be said of the whole congregation after the minister. It says here all kneeling. We don't kneel, although I think I've seen some Baptists that do kneel at sometimes. On, on YouTube or something. Half our congregation couldn't stand back up. <laughs> I probably would have trouble getting <laughs> Just up. Just stay down there. Just stay down. <laughs> I get on my knees. <laughs> hey, um, you know that song? Yeah. Yeah, that's an oldie. <laughs> okay, this is the prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. To me, that's a really beautiful prayer, not only because it's it's got a rhythm to it, right? As you read it, there's a there's a there's a literary rhythm that it flows well, but also it covers all the various aspects of sin. We're lost sheep. We follow our own hearts. It talks about we do things we shouldn't have done, but then we've also not done things we should have done. But then it also brings in the gospel and asks uh, for mercy. What do you think it does for a church whenever they open up with a prayer like this? This is at the beginning of the service. What does that do to the worshiper? And why do you think that it's helpful to use a prayer like this? Or at least, what do you think about this? Um, what do you, I guess I'm just asking for thoughts, I guess, in general about this kind of a thing. I mean, the good thing of something like this is it centers everybody, I think. Cause I say this quite a bit in our services, I think, when I pray is like, Everybody walks in that room different with different circumstances. Definitely. You know, um, I might have had an awesome week and I'm coming in like excited about the blessings in my life, you know, or just what a great week it was. And the guy next to you had a terrible week. Yeah. And the guy next to me, his his neighbor died or whatever, you know, and he's just kind of had a rough week at work, been really busy, doesn't feel that great, whatever. And so we both come into this place and now we both get to sit and listen to this prayer that somebody is praying and it's reminding me that I'm a sinner. It's reminding him that he's a sinner. It's reminding us, though, of the work of Christ, mm-hmm. what he's done, why we're actually here today, mm-hmm. the Savior we're worshiping. Right? It centers both of us, kind of. It yeah. kind of gets us both out of our self, right. our selfishness right. of the moment we're in, and centers us to think, yeah, that's 
That's why I'm here today. Mm-hmm. Despite of all of this, or even in the midst of all of this, right. Christ is with me in these good things that other guys mm-hmm. say Christ is with me during all these struggles. Right. And we both have something to be grateful for. Right. And we both have something to receive today when the preacher is going to preach the word of God. We get to we get to hear the word of mm-hmm. God together. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of centers us. It's just, again, at least here, this is where I grew up, at least here, for us here, it does take a lot of our congregation back because it's unprecedented for us to hear that. And I think the word would be like, oh, they're just stuffy. They're not very personable. They had to write their prayer out. <clears throat> but I wish we would get away from that and and understand like like what you're saying is what, what this does. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean... There are times you go up there to pray. You got you guys know you guys mm-hmm. have to do it too, and it's like, well, we'll pray real quick. Uh, all right, um, right. Uh, and you yeah. don't want to just go off all over. You also don't want to sound dumb. Right. You want to say the right things. You also don't want to preach because you're praying. Yeah. It's it does make sense, I think, to think through it a little bit. Right. And write it out. I think that's a really helpful point because on the one hand, these prayers can become stuffy. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm saying. We're not. This is not like a fix it all, like to no, write out your no, prayers. No, no. And I know that's not yeah. what you're saying. So yeah. I was just saying that for everybody's benefit mm-hmm. is we're not saying you do this, you're going to fix everything. Because mm-hmm. I'm not saying we have to always write yeah. out our prayers. I'm just saying that also it's not wrong to write out your prayers yeah. or to even use mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. this. The one downside, yeah. as I was thinking about this, that I could see, I don't think it would necessarily create it, but one downside to only using like written prayers from a standardized book like this is that like you said this is written beautifully yeah it flows it it makes sense there's no pauses or um or like or you sure know, just filler words and if a person hears only this kind of praying the idea of themselves praying spontaneously yeah. or at home definitely without a pre-prepared prayer that sounds beautiful like right. this might discourage them That's a good point. from trying to pray themselves. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that would necessarily follow. Right, but that is something you'd have to be aware of. Yeah. And I think, um, anyway, again, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't, but, but it, I think there is something to, to just listen and learn from. And mm-hmm. um, and also, I, I, I guess for me, one of the things I really like is because I'm someone who I've realized everybody's different. I'm not the most, I'm just, this is going to be a Spencer Snow moment, but I'm not the most, I'm not organized. But one of the things I realize in my mind mentally, I go crazy if I don't have any structure to go off of. In some ways, <laughs> I'm kind of like, a, like, you know, there's like, a, you have to have structure in order to improvise off of. Um, and so I have to have a grid. Um, you know, sometimes you think about jazz music. Where if you nope. know, you know jazz music, no, okay. I mean I, I don't think do. about it. Okay, <laughs> right. Jazz music has a basic underlying chord structure throughout a song, but there's okay. going to be the different instruments are going to go through and play. Okay, remember never the mind. Monday morning quarterback yeah. last All right. Never mind. That's what's happening. Uh, All right, to, are you, you guys, talking about the four chords that Dave mentioned? Chord <laughs> instrument. You guys need to go listen to progression. Some, go listen to some John Coltrane. Um, and then, well, anyway, but the point is, is we need structure in order to improvise off of and to be, you know, it, I just think it's helpful. Jesus did say, right. His disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray like you. He gave them a structure, but he didn't mean that you had to only use that structure, but it's kind of like a template. You use the template and you kind you can improvise off of that, but you still need a template to kind of help get a grid in your mind, um, that's help. why we teach praying through the Psalms, like what yeah. that looks like, yeah, how, to exactly. pray, how to pray scripture, mm-hmm. or 
Uh, I know Emma Stram, who's in the office here a lot, she writes her prayers out, and I've tried that before, and that's really helpful. Like mm-hmm. even just your own prayers, not trying to sound pretty or anything, but there's times where like you're writing a sentence and you erase it. That sounds dumb, right? <laughs> and you erase it and go back, you know, and um, yeah. yeah. Even like one of the things in our service that we've done um, is, you know, we have two primary times of prayer. I would say in our service that happens more than that. Like we pray at the end, but at the beginning, after announcements, we read scripture and we pray, and then we have a song, another scripture reading, and a prayer. Those two prayers generally focus on two specific things. Um, there's one that focuses more on adoration, and the second one normally focuses more on confession. Um, and even having that kind of template or the purpose of that prayer, it's not going to sound the same every week, but I'm usually the one that prays that one. Yeah. And it, that helps me know what am I supposed to pray about right now? What's the purpose of this prayer? It's not just a spontaneous, random, oh, this is a transition in our service, so we need to pray right now. Right. No, there is a purpose to this prayer, right. and it's. I normally take it as a time to try to, God, help us focus on what we're here to do. Yep. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. No, I think it's very helpful. I think it's something we can learn from, um, and just uh, it could help your own, your own prayer life um, as well, and just kind of give you ideas of how to pray and, and uh, what to pray for. Okay, well, I think that's all we'll do today on Anglicanism. Uh, we could say more about the fact that they are governed by bishops. We are not, um, at least officially, unless you're at a multi-campus megachurch, um, which is some ways kind of slightly uh, Episcopal um, in some ways, um, in, in certain instances. But, um, but yeah, they are governed by bishops and uh, such, uh, and there's a worldwide community of Anglican churches and such. Is there any uh, closing thoughts you guys have about Anglicanism or anything in general that seems pretty wide? I mean, yeah. the denomination seems pretty wide. Yeah. Some very liberal to some conservative people we would align sure. with, to people we'd not align, right. align with. Most of the people we would align with are in Africa. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just um, the nature of a lot of Christianity in the world actually is that way. Yeah. I think if anything, though, with all these denominations, and hopefully what people, if they went to your class or listened to this, just have a desire to know more. Sure. Not to jump ship from Baptist and go there, you know, or to say, oh, it must be a lot greener over there. I'm going to go over there. But just just to knowing and understanding, because there is a Catholic church. Yep. Right? There is a this church that we'll be in heaven with who wasn't a Baptist, and it's just good to try to understand these denominations. Even though we keep saying there's a wide range within this denomination, you can't just lump them all together, which makes these kind of hard discussions to yeah. have. But And then also to know as you are trying to actively share the gospel with people and love people, when they say something like, oh, yeah, I go to church, I go to the Episcopal church, or I go to the Presbyterian church, you then have kind of a reference, at yeah. least a little bit, yeah. of like, okay, this might be where they mm-hmm. are that will mm-hmm. then help you in the discussion of am i sharing the gospel with this person mm-hmm. or am i trying to encourage this right. brother or sister right right i mean definitely yeah and and so i i think it's a very helpful tool to know some i've i've learned stuff and i yeah. enjoy it i mean studying other denominations helps you clarify what you believe sure i think definitely and is this the last denomination no. Of the series? No, there's no. more. No, there's no. 30 more. 
30? No, we're, we're not even. Uh, yeah, we got to go. <laughs> this is week seven. We he had twelve weeks. <clears throat> I think oh. uh, next is uh, five more is, weeks. Uh, Baptist probably. Great. Let's skip that one. Scott wants to do Baptist. Scott will talk the whole time. Scott no. will talk the whole we'll time. We'll just sit and look at him. No, I won't. He'll have a big smile on his face. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big B Baptist. He'll talk really Southern, that one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Baptists originated in the South. Well, your kind. Yeah. <laughs> and your kind. And my yeah. kind. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm actually from the lowest latitude. Is that latitude or longitude? Latitudes, uh, yeah. I think I'm actually from the lowest latitude point of anybody here. Is it? Oh, yeah, because yeah. you're southern. Yeah. Southern Missouri is lower southern than Missouri. Kentucky. Yeah. So okay. then you'll share the whole time. Perfect. Is that for mean, the Southern Baptist part? Does that mean I'm the biggest Southern Baptist here? You are. Whoa, whoa! You have it the deepest roots. His family's not Southern Baptist. Well, my, my family was fifty-fifty. That's true. Well, you I are. Was, yeah, I had a grandma who was Southern Baptist. Your dad, dad, pastor. Yeah, you're deep. Wow. The ba- the one on Baptist isn't going to just be about Southern Baptist. I'm assuming. Well, we're all Southern Baptist now, right? <laughs> I mean, we're all. No, yeah, we're taking over the world. Um, it's kind of like Pinky and the Brain. You remember one church planner at a time. The brain. One is a genius. Ooh, the other's yeah. insane. I love that card. They're laboratory cartoon. mice. <laughs> Pinky. Okay. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, <laughs> that show was... Yeah, it's a good show. Uh, it's a, wow. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, listening to this, and um, we hope it was helpful. Uh, next week, we'll talk about the uh, Baptist tradition, and we will continue on our denominational study. Take care. God bless. <laughs>